Hi and welcome to a brand new podcast called Let Me Talk. I'm Michelle Elman and I'm Amali Lee and in this podcast we're talking about everything from sex to spirituality, dating to diet culture and pretty much everything in between and today we are talking about the big bad binge you might have heard in society that one of the worst things a person could do especially women is binge so we thought we'd talk about it yes so why don't you start by telling our audience the difference between binging emotional eating and overeating Okay, so I would say that different people had different definitions, even different healthcare professionals would have different definitions. I feel in general, people are very quick to using the word binging. Anytime you have like one more cookie than you planned, like that's not really binging. Two uh, bowls of cereal more than one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not following the serving sizes, which servings after itself are quite bullshit anyways. Like who eats 30 grams of cereal? Yeah. Not me. Uh, But yeah, so um, I would personally define binging as consuming a very high amount of food, a large amount of food, large quantity, in a short amount of time, uh, accompanied by feelings of loss of control. And after you had that session of eating that high amount of food, you feel um, as you feel guilt or you feel shame you feel just negative emotions and yeah that for me would be binging but in general it has to do with eating a high quantity of food in a quick amount of time with feelings of loss of control some might feel like they're like in a trans like state where they can't really control what they're doing it's almost like they're on autopilot and also again followed by negative emotions afterwards um so overeating it's similar, but I would define overeating as just eating to beyond the point of fullness. And overeating, I would say, is a completely normal part of eating to some degree. So it's something like Christmas or your birthday. Yes, exactly. Or yes. you just like what's on your plate a yeah, little exactly. too much and you've eaten past the point of fullness. Exactly. So overeating is something we all do to some extent. For instance, on Thanksgiving or Christmas or uh, we eat to be on the point of fullness. But it's kind or of expected. how about something like you eating ice cream when you're not hungry because you want yeah, ice cream? I mean, that depends. That I mean, it depends on how much ice cream you eat. If you stuff yourself with ice cream, yeah, overeating. But sometimes we just have cravings and we just want a snack. It doesn't mean we overeat. Yeah. Um, so I would define overeating as something we all do. We all eat sometimes to be on the point of fullness. It doesn't necessarily mean it was a full-blown binge. Um, but I would see that all binging is overeating, but not all overeating is binging. So what about emotional eating? Emotional eating would be more that we just feel like eating something and we go grab it. So, for instance, classical example, you just went through a breakup and your instinct is to go and buy ice cream to kind of suit yourself. And and I would, I mean, I know some would disagree with me on this one, but I would say that emotional eating, it's, it's completely fine. It's not as bad. It, does, it has a really bad rep, but I don't yeah. really think it deserves it. I know for myself, I... I like engage in um, emotional eating many times and I think it's fine. It's the normal part of my life. When I have a shit day, I might go and award myself, reward myself with food. And that is okay to some extent, I would say. But I also think, so for people listening who don't know who Amalia and I 
am and have never followed our Instagram accounts and have just discovered us. Amalia is thin and I am fat. And I would say the problem I find with emotional eating is there's a natural assumption anytime you come across anyone who's fat that they're emotional eaters. Oh, yes. Or that they're overeaters. Yeah. So what do you think of that (laughs) as a thin woman? (laughs) I mean, it's not true because our body weight is not really, it's not just controlled. I think a lot of us think that our body weight is solely controlled about how much we eat and when, how active we are, but that's not really how it works. Yeah. A body weight is controlled by so many different factors. But also like this, it's been shown that there are, well, there are thin people. Everyone has a thin friend who eats as much as they want and don't gain weight. So this the idea that every fat woman or man um, who is fat must be because they eat so much and don't move whatsoever. It's just, it's such a backwards notion and people yeah. think it's so, everyone has the evidence in their life of a thin friend who eats a lot and doesn't, it's not calories in, calories out. Yeah. But when it comes to fat women or fat men, they're, they're a bit like, oh, well, that can't be true. They must be overeating yeah. or they must be eating their feelings. That's another thing that fat women face like constantly. Yeah. And it's just not really how it is because we often see that a fat person will engage in diet behaviors and those yeah. diet behaviors restriction will slow down their metabolism. So often a fat person will have to eat a very low amount of calories just to maintain their weight, while a thin person might eat more and not gain weight. I also think dieting, I don't know whether this has been shown or not, but dieting does tend to raise a set point weight. Does yes. it not? Yes, some scientific uh, evidence point towards that, that especially when it's long-term, like a cycle of yo-yo dieting, will tend to raise your set point weight higher. So your body naturally wants to be at a higher weight. So your set point weight is basically where your body naturally wants yeah. to be for people listening who don't know what that is. So what are your own experiences? Are you an overeater? Are you an emotional <laughs> eater? I would say that I overeat sometimes, I emotionally eat sometimes, and I'm very happy and content about that I don't consider it a problem the problem is when it starts completely taking over your life and the problem is also when it starts uh, to become more binging and I would say I mean probably a lot of healthy normal non-disordered people would sometimes maybe binge occasionally or have an episode of eating which would be kind of on the border of binging and it's again it has to do not what you do once every few months but it is a pattern of what becomes your habits i would say that again i i will emotionally eat sometimes and i'm quite fine with that do you feel any guilt or negative emotions when you overeat or when you um when you emotionally eat i used to especially when i came straight out of recovery i would feel guilty but now i have understood that if i suddenly feel like eating a lot more than usual i know that it's tends to be because my body needs it and I just go for it so for people who aren't listening uh Amalia has had an eating disorder and so that's what because you just mentioned recovery but some people might, yes, yes. might not know that yeah um, I had an eating disorder I had anorexia binge purge subtype so essentially I had both anorexia and bulimia but for some reason you can't be diagnosed with both at once huh, so they diagnosed no it's, it's very strange um so they diagnosed me with anorexia with binge purge subtype even though I would have full-blown insane uh, bulimia type binges where I would eat thousands and thousands of calories and uh, throw up several times a day. I had a very severe case um, of it, so I would. I was one of the like those really bad cases of binging. Would go and buy half the grocery shop, and then come back and just binge and purge and binge and purge. Uh, so I know very well like 
what binging is. And I would also say to anyone listening who feel like they're stuck in that cycle of binging and purging and feel like they can never get out of it, you can. Trust me, you can. But you need to go to the problem by the root. And the root of the problem is restriction because restriction causes binging, which we will get back to later in the podcast. Well, so this is that's more my experience is that I was a constant dieter probably from the age of 11 I was on diets um every single diet under the sun so I was more of a binge and restrict type is that a thing is that yes that's absolutely <laughs> I've just made thing. That up. yeah that's <laughs> absolutely a thing no binge but I've never had an, I've never been diagnosed I've never classified myself as having an eating disorder I categorised that time in my life as disordered eating that it wasn't normal eating um and I believe now I have normal eating because I don't think about food when I'm not hungry. I don't feel guilt when I eat certain types of food, like unhealthy foods or whatever. And I don't, like, it's the same as you. I overeat. I emotionally eat um, occasionally. Actually, not so much, but, like, I definitely overeat. Um, and I think that's just more the fact that when you've been on diets your entire life it's very hard to then tune into your hunger signals yes and it's been a long learning curve and there are still times where like I literally won't feel hungry all day and obviously I am hungry but I've just spent a whole lifetime of tuning out my hunger signals that I've not noticed it until I literally stop and I'm like oh wait I'm starving. It's five o'clock. I haven't eaten today. And that still happens. And that's just what I call leftover habits from my disordered eating history. But I overeat. I undereat. I emotionally eat. But it's not something that I ever have huge guilt on. And I must say, it's not something I'm exactly working on. I don't think it's a thing that dictates my life I literally I think I'm the happiest place I have been with food just because I don't think about it like I can have chocolate in the house and not obsess about it I can all those kind of things and I think with my worst period of disordered eating it was probably post-surgery when um I couldn't eat for 1.3 months and 1.6 months six weeks um and I came out and it was just so obsessive around food that um everything like if it was in the house and I was trying to study and trying to revise, I couldn't think about my work. Like, I'd have to go find the chocolate, even if it wasn't mine. Half the time it was my housemates. And so I'd, like, eat it all and then have to replace it. Yes, and I think that is so important to uh, to point out, out that an obsession with food and feeling like you can't control yourself around a specific type of food is very often a sign of undernourishment. And it's very often something that will come when you have been either on a diet or you have been forced to restrict because you had like a medical condition and hospital admission. For yeah. whatsoever reason, you've been undernourished over a period of time. And then you will notice these obsessive thoughts about food. Yeah. And people will often become really scared and they will try to control themselves and like not be around those foods and just continue the restriction but very often what you need to do you just need to eat the goddamn food and And you need to do it right away you need to just realize it's a phase I very much realized it was a phase and it made logical sense to me because all I had done in hospital was scroll hashtag chocolate on Instagram and I'm like I was doing a degree in psychology so I'm very big on the fact that you build associations in your brain really quickly and me being deprived of it and then reinforcing it by looking at pictures of it on a daily basis just created this like 
obsessive habit and eventually it did pass eventually I could have chocolate in the house but I didn't get through that phase by banning all chocolate from the house I lived with four other girls so I couldn't have done that anyway I did it by literally letting myself have as much chocolate as I wanted and it probably lasted about six months and it can be a bit scary because you're like oh my god I'm literally just gonna like gain so much weight and I'm gonna eat chocolate all day and every day but to be honest when you let yourself have it they get to a point when actually chocolate gets a bit like sickly and I get (laughs) the only thing that I did actually stop myself from doing is I was like if I want chocolate I'm allowed chocolate but what I found I was doing was I was having chocolate and then a cup of tea so I would like rinse the the taste out of my mouth so I would have more chocolate so I just created one rule which was if I was going to have chocolate I couldn't have it with any liquid because it actually meant I ate less of it rather than like it would just be this cycle of like me eating it and then drinking the tea and then wanting more of it so I was like I just banned tea <laughs> while I ate chocolate that's an interesting strategy <laughs> but it is this thing of like you suddenly want more because your brain's kind of forgotten that you've just eaten it so like at least if the taste is lingering in your mouth I don't tend to want more chocolate because I'm like oh I just had it and my brain remembers that it's just this really strange thing that that was the only rule I created around it. Other than that, I let myself have whatever. Cookies, cakes. My housemates loved me during that period because I literally was baking nonstop. <laughs> but actually, did you know that uh, excessive baking is like the classical symptom of an eating disorder or restrictive oh, eating? Really? Yes. I remember this for myself. But baking and not eating it? Or yes, baking and, baking eating. and eating it. But also especially uh, if it's very typical among people with restrictive eating disorders that they will cook in for their families and very often they will bake the most high calorie meals they can ever create like extra butter extra sugar all of it (laughs) and they will feed their family and if their family doesn't eat uh, a lot of it if the family doesn't want it they get really offended i don't know what what exactly is the mechanisms behind it my theory is that your brain senses that there is a famine going on so your instinct will be to feed your like um what can you say your your, your nuclear family yeah 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 Yeah. those around you so i think it's like a primal instinct but yes this whole obsession with cooking the obsession with food in general very classical symptom of undernourishment and the thing you have to do you just have to re-nourish yourself which also would mean eating the food you crave even if it's scary because i know some people would think oh well i'm recovering from eating disorder disordered eating whatsoever and they think that oh i'll just eat all the healthiest food i can find but again Yes, you can get out of the undernourishment state that way. But psychologically, it's also very important to have the foods you truly crave. Yeah. What do you think about cravings in general then? Do you think... Because there's also that belief that like when you crave something, it's because you're missing a certain... Like if you crave chocolate, you're missing magnesium or like... Um, There is some truth to that. I know for myself, I have a tendency to become iron deficient very quickly because I eat very little meat. Oh, I crave meat. And like, I always think it's because I'm low on it. Yeah, but I don't... Or because I've had a heavy period. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is that I don't crave meat. What instead happens is that I will start craving carrots and tomatoes, especially carrots. Are they high in iron? They're not. I don't even know. They're not really that high in (laughs) iron. It's just apparently it's a very typical symptom of iron deficiency. So certain cravings, and I would point out if you get cravings, very intensive cravings of food like carrots, maybe tomatoes, and also ice cubes, that could mean that you're iron deficient. Ice cubes. I'm not joking. Yeah. That's so strange. Yeah. So yeah, there is some truth to your cravings. But in general, I would say that if you crave something that's very high in fats or carbohydrates, sugar, uh, calories, then it's 
in general, often a sign that you are undernourished. So you and shouldn't just drink a glass of water when you feel like No, hungry. absolutely That's not. Absolutely Maybe not. Maybe you're not hungry. Maybe no, you're just thirsty. it's ridiculous. It's it's not really true. If you crave something, it's okay to eat that food. Yeah. Even even how no matter how random your craving is, because I often get very random cravings, and it's okay. Just eat the food. I also think it's it's worse when you try to sub- substitute the food. Oh yeah, it gets worse because it's. Like, when, I don't know, I used to do Slimming World, and when you're eating 10 of these Slimming World chocolate bars instead of the one chocolate bar you yeah, want. Yeah, yeah, classic example. I was like, yes. oh, yeah, I've only cut, put two, like, points, because, like, Slimming World goes with the point system. I'm like, oh, it's only two points, but I've eaten 10 of these bars rather yeah. than wanting just, like, the one Cadbury's chocolate bar. That's very typical, is that people will, uh, they will, for instance, crave chocolate, and instead they will go for protein bars and I mean and then they will have like five of these protein bars instead of just having that small piece of chocolate yeah Uh, so it's the best thing is just to give into your cravings and I know it's scary when you are used to not giving into your cravings because then you feel the first few times you're going to give into your cravings you might go a bit overboard and you might eat like uh, a lot of food but know that as soon as your body realizes that it can actually have those foods whenever it wants to, yeah. it, the cravings will kind of fade out and you'll start getting more normal hunger, fullness, craving. But it takes time to develop fully like reliable hunger and fullness and craving cues after you had a period of dieting, restriction, for whatsoever reason, undernourishment. But it will come and you just need to kind of try and fail. And also think we have a lot of obsession about eating in a so-called perfect way yeah. eating is supposed to be a bit messy sometimes yeah uh, no definitely just don't be so hard on yourself if you woke up in the middle of the night and had like uh, two pizzas like it happens so would you actually say you give in to all your cravings or are there like some exceptions or um i mean if i wake up in the middle of the night and I want pizza, I might just go back to sleep because it's very inconvenient to order pizza in the middle of the night. But no, something, I, it, I kind of... I had that two days Unless ago. I'm drunk. <laughs> that true. That yeah. too. But like, I had that at two o'clock in the morning. I really wanted... What, it was like three days ago, I really wanted pizza. And I was like, look, you can have it tomorrow. Just go to sleep. Yes. So I think I would say I give in to my cravings when it is convenient. Yeah. But what happens now is that now that I've been recovered and I'm How not... How long have you been recovered? I've been recovered. I mean, some people would say that you never fully recovered, always be with you, you know? So, uh, but I believe in full recovery. Um, I believe that you will have it in the back of your head very often for a while and that you're very likely, like the relapse rate is quite high. Yeah. Um, so I would sometimes notice that small thoughts come lurking in. Yeah. But I've been officially like wait for stored and officially recovered for since 2014, 15. So about a lot of years, yeah. Yeah. Um, I I personally believe in recovered. I just believe in the potential of recovered. I think if you don't even believe that recovered, because there are some people who um, don't believe that anybody from an eating disorder or even like alcoholics are ever fully recovered. And my belief is, if you don't even have the potential of full recovery in your head, then you will never achieve it. That's true. Um, And I think it's already it's kind of like let's say it's a one to ten scale you're already putting yourself as the top of the scale being an eight 
Do you get what I mean? If yeah. that does that make sense? Absolutely Where, like, makes sense. Yeah, and that's my view, not just on eating disorders, but on like all types of recovery. I've had PTSD. I got told in my first session of PTSD, you're never going to be recovered. It's not like, empowering that have that view. I get it that. wasn't empowering. And yeah. four years on, I am fully recovered from PTSD. Yeah. And yes, I've had like blips where I've had symptoms and like, but to be honest, that was the first time this year that I kind of had symptoms of PTSD where like. I have not had them for four years. So I do believe in the potential of full recovery. And just because I had a few symptoms this year doesn't mean I lost my recovery. But I think that's the thing. Some people would define full recovery as not having any symptoms. But everyone has symptoms of everything. Exactly. So I, that is why people disagree. <laughs> also, yeah. like, that's even just in the model of diagnosis, which I don't really believe in anyway. Yeah. Like, I don't think yeah. diagnosing everyone for every little thing is helpful. I think we, if we focus on symptoms more than we focus on diagnosing people it would actually help people because rather than trying to categorize everyone and fit everyone in boxes and making everyone feel normal by having a word that they identify with why don't we actually make people feel normal by validating every single emotion they have first yeah so that they don't have to get to that point yeah and i think this is also why i don't really believe that much in completely separating like eating disorder disordered eating diagnosed eating disorder undiagnosed eating disorder it's more it's a symptom of other things like yeah very much like your relationship with food it's the most accessible thing to control or to restrict or like it's more accessible than drugs it's more accessible than alcohol if you're of a certain age like so it's it's quite natural to me that food is indicative of your life yes and so if you have like anxiety for example i wouldn't be surprised if you had anxiety around food or like if you were depressed that you that would affect your appetite that all these things are related and that if we're separating an eating disorder out from every other symptom in the world or every other diagnosis in the world sometimes it's not helpful but that's just my more holistic life coaching approach but compared I, yeah. to like traditional psychology which would want to keep it separate yeah but i think that's important and that's why you often see that people with eating disorder disordered eating whenever they're going through something difficult in their life or it could be everything from loss of a family member divorce illness whatsoever they would often go back to those behaviors of yeah. either restriction or binging but what I will often say is that they would tend to go back to the restriction and then the binging binging follows because to have an urge to binge you need to be except for people with binge eating disorder but for people without binge eating disorder to have an urge to just binge in in terms of eating a high amount of calories with no control and being in that trance-like state you need to be undernourished unless you have so it's your body's natural yeah so you kind of you you. tend to as someone who have for instance a bulimia would maybe go back and they'll start restricting and then the binging will come as a consequence again so yeah it is um using food as a way to cope on eating not eating it's it's just again it's accessible it is a way to kind of soothe your feelings but i do think that sometimes people are a bit too quick after they had a binge to kind of uh look a bit too much into it yeah if they had a not necessarily even a binge but had like eating a bit more than they planned or eating like having a bit more ice cream and they will be like oh i'm i like this this is something i should like investigate further but very often it's like no it's okay i think it's actually quite funny because the other day well actually yesterday i put on my instagram stories that my book is currently at number one on eating disorder biographies am i ugly (laughs) order it (laughs) but number two was a brain over binge yes and so i had someone in my instagram stories asking 
oh, was it a good book? And I must say it was a really hard book to read because it's like a textbook. But the whole premise of it is when you feel like you want to binge, you sit still and don't, like, you just feel it rather than... I, think I would disagree with that. Really? I would disagree with that because I know for myself, the time I feel like binging has been, uh, for me, my experience, the time... I mean, again, it would depend on every person. For instance, some people with a binge eating disorder, it might help. But for someone who's binging because they're undernourished, sitting and just feeling the urges to binge is not really going to help them because they binge because their body is screaming for food. I think this was written for people with binge eating disorder. Then it makes more sense because someone with binge eating disorder, as far as I'm aware, because there is some uh, distinction between the different eating disorders, but as far as I am aware... Uh, binge eating disorder differs from other eating disorders in terms of that it doesn't have that restriction those compensatory behaviors well someone with the restrictive eating disorder they would after a binge they would either they might eat less the next day they might go exercise excessively they might purge use laxative they have some kind of compensatory behavior for someone with binge eating disorder they will just binge but they wouldn't compensate after So I would say that if you are on the spectrum that you engage in some restrictive behaviors after binging, then sitting still and feeling it, doing mindfulness, doing yoga, I don't even know what people or books recommend these days, is not really going to help you because you need to go to the root issue of why you binge. And if it started with restriction, then that's probably the cause. So if you binge, you need to ask yourself, how did it start? Did it start with a diet? Did it start with maybe a hospital admission that meant that you couldn't eat as much or what you wanted yeah then it's probably restrictions the cause and you need to beat the restriction and undernourishment state by eating so no mindfulness if you're undernourished (laughs) no but seriously i don't think okay to be fair this is a complete i've just completely condensed an entire book into one sentence so no no shade to that book um, I also haven't read it in a really long time. But it was interesting that this conversation came up yesterday. Yeah. Um, okay, so what responsibility do you think the wellness community have in this rise of eating disorders? Especially orthorexia, which oh, yeah. for those people who don't know is um, excessive exercise and excessive healthy eating. Is that? Oh, orthorexia actually is not excessive exercise. That's not a, a oh. criteria. Okay, first of all, orthorexia, it's not... Uh, at least in, I think, in the UK and Norway, it's not uh, officially recognised diagnosis, but you still kind of use it. So and it's it, in the DSM. I think it's not. Maybe it's been put in there, but as Sorry, last... Sorry, the DSM is the diagnosis criteria for psychologists in the UK. Yeah, I think it's not. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, it might be now, but last time I checked it was not. But it is not really related to excess. Usually people with orthorexia would tend to exercise excessively, but it's essentially orthorexia is more focused on like an obsession with eating clean people pure foods and what someone with orthorexia considers uh, clean eat foods varies a lot you have someone who would only eat paleo and they'll be obsessed about eating like organic meat whatever those people eat I don't you know, know how i cleared my, out my house yesterday one of yeah. the books that i threw away literally five of the books that i threw away were emotion fear of emotional eating um <laughs> paleo diet they're literally sitting behind me right now in like rubbish <laughs> bags i was like well how do i even get a paleo book i've never eaten paleo in my life <laughs> yeah i think goes to charity stores they I actually was so close to putting yeah, it in the bin because i was like i don't even want someone to buy this from a charity store no 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 they i think they actually debunked paleo because paleo is all about 
I think it's about no not eating bread, and then they debunked uh, it by they found that people actually ate bread back in that time where they thought uh, they didn't eat bread, and people were like freaking out. But yeah, what someone with orthorexia considers like a, a clean, pure diet varies because some people would eat paleo, and some would eat like. Uh, I've seen people on Instagram that eat survive only on fruit, like raw, organic. Oh, I fruit. saw this. The, there's yeah, a, there's it's, a woman it's who absolutely like, obsessed with bananas. Yeah, let's not shout her out. But no. yeah, there are some people who are just extreme, but they. What is really irresponsible is they have a tendency to normalize it. And they also, it could be that for some reason, this person might, their body might be able to survive on this insane diet that they're on. Yeah. But that does not mean that everybody's body is going to survive on the same diet. Yeah. And also it's kind of like, if your main focus in your life is what you eat, if your identity resolves <laughs> around your diet, yeah, like... Are you okay? <laughs> this is why. This is well. That's why I'm a bit concerned about some of these bloggers who literally, in their name, their like their label to the world is their eating style. Yeah, like Paleo Penny or something like that. I just <laughs> made that up. <laughs> yeah, but it's kind of the. It's very keto scary. Kate. <laughs> Kate. I'm gonna start writing like posts on my Instagram slagging off. Keto Kate. That's the most Caucasian name I've ever heard. Keto Kate. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, I just think with this obsession about extreme health, it's all about control. Where like, when you're trying to control, essentially, it's this belief that if you're healthy enough, you can not die, essentially. And like, if my life, for those of you who don't know, I've had 15 surgeries and... uh, if you, my life is living proof that you can't control your health just by eating and drinking enough green juices or eating yes. healthy enough. <clears throat> and it's this extreme obsession with not just health, but also morality around health, that you're a good person if you're healthy and a bad person if you're unhealthy. Um, and that's largely around fat, but also people forget that when you refer to unhealthy people, you're also referring to people with chronic illnesses, terminal illnesses, anyone lying in a hospital bed for, like, anything. Whether it's, like, I mean, you wouldn't call someone with a broken foot unhealthy, but, like, you would call someone who had, like, an obstructed bowel unhealthy. Um, but when we talk about unhealthy in society, what we're actually discussing is people who look unhealthy. Because it's still this idea that unhealthy is a look. And that you can predict someone's health by looking at them. But I think what it all revolves around and all this shaming and all of this, like, honestly, superiority around health. And yes. that, like, you feel like you're better than everyone else in the world because you're healthier is actually around the fear of death. And that people think if they can control their diet and they control their lifestyle enough that they can almost immunize them from dying. Yes. And I'm, like, I saw something funny on the internet the other day saying something like, um, <laughs> uh, being healthy is literally just the person who lives lives the longest. Like, it's how is that a reward? Like, yeah. it doesn't mean you live the best life. You mm-hmm. literally just live the number of years. Like, it's a number. If the last 20 years of your life, you've not been able to live, like, the life you want because of an illness. Like, I don't know. That obviously gets very political. But I was like... Yeah, not necessarily. Like, I could have lived the best life dying at, like, 19. I mean, I wouldn't because I would have been stuck in school in uni. But (laughs) um, that did occur to me was that what... So, because if I I had died at 19 because of an obstructive bowel, then I'm I'm not as good because I don't live as long. 
I think it revolves around like the wellness industry is very much about a fear of death and a love of money because oh, I feel yeah. like that is so much what it is about. They they manage to profit off of this fear and it's the fear of death, it's the fear of fatness, it's the fear of just pretty much everything and then they manage to f- profit off of it yeah. and make very good money. And essentially fear they're capitalizing on a fear because fear Yeah, capitalizing on fear, yeah. Like, there's a belief in uh, coaching, well, in a lot of things, that there are only actually two emotions in the world, love or fear. And so humans will do anything in the world to avoid fear. Like, yes. if you think about it, the whole diet industry is around the fear of fat, yeah. which, again, is the fear of dying, because, like, fat is equated to death in our society. Um, and, like, all of that, like, humans will spend so much money to not feel that emotion that... It's literally just, I mean, it's so minute, like, the fact that they've literally gone into every single thing. Like, one of the things I used to say is, um, I used to love dancing until someone called it Zumba, and I used to love riding my bike until someone called it spinning. Like, they capitalise on every minutia of the world that, like, they've put a brand label on it and made it into either punishment, if it's exercise, or it's, like the solution and cure to all life's problems if it's like nutrition yes exactly and we often see that when they're talking about health they would very often ignore eating disorders yeah like um no shade to the vegan community but it's very well known that there is a very high prevalence of people who are vegan who also just happen to have an eating disorder these tend to co-occur a lot And it's almost like being undernourished and having an eating disorder. Everyone can objectively know that's unhealthy. It may cause you um, everything from loss of uh, bone density, loss of period, loss of hair. Just that's like, and also the mental distress of having an eating disorder. But still, I feel like eating disorders are not taken seriously and sometimes even looked at as healthy. Because someone might have an eating disorder and they might be at a weight that is way too low for their body. Yeah. But we've been brainwashed to see this body type as the epitome of health. Yeah. So again, it's not. It's about also health. Then again, it's not. They say it's about health, but like when you override your body's natural mechanism, like your body's natural hunger signals, how is that healthy? It's not. Like, how is this idea that an app or a program knows better than our body how did that even exist it's ridiculous like your body is so much smarter than any computer any app any fitness bracelet you could potentially buy and you try that what do you end up doing you end up binging (laughs) (laughs) that's a perfect way to end um so i hope you like this our first ever 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 episode thank you so much for listening and i'll thank you tuning in soon Bye. bye